The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Gotham City Gazette, a PapichuloRadio.com original series. Papichulo Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, March 29th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Batwoman. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, Gotham. And Professor X. Hello, Gotham. Let's jump into our discussion of season two episode nine which was titled rule number one and aired march 28 2021 here's the official synopsis of the episode batwoman confronts gotham's biggest foe while new information forces those closest to kate to make some difficult decisions ryan's feelings for angelique puts her partnership with luke and mary at risk while Alice goes on a warped walk down memory lane. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 2, Episode 9. Batwoman was viewed by 440k total viewers with a point one in the demo. It was steady in the demo. So let's talk about this. Uh, there is much to discuss. But we're going to start off on a little island, on the Isle of Alice. Because she was on her own little island throughout the episode. And... Um, it was quite the warped, what do they call it, warped uh, walk down memory lane. It was um, in a very interesting sort of way, and it led Alice down the path. Uh, she went down the rabbit hole to an interesting revelation. And um, certainly it's going to be a revelation that will impact uh, at least Alice's uh, machinations uh, for the next few episodes. So... Alice has a psychotic break in the episode. She imagines a teenaged Kate. They have tea, and after digging up her dead kitty, realizes uh, via the uh, hallucination that every time something traumatic happens to her, she ends up having a psychotic break, whether it was learning how to make um, realistic face masks or seeing her mother's head in a refrigerator she always has psychotic breaks and uh, her psychosis basically her psychosis in the form of a teenaged uh, kate convinces her that instead of uh, the grief that's going to be coming and the grief that she's clearly terrified of, and that's why she's having the psychotic break, she needs to use the psychotic break, use her psychosis, to just imagine a world where Kate doesn't exist, so that she does not have to grieve, which I guess she didn't watch WandaVision. So what did we think of this storyline? It, it certainly gave Rachel Scarston, you know, something juicy to really play off of. Because Rachel is is Rachel, and, and we love us some Scarston. What did we think of this storyline? What does it mean for Alice? Um, I Yes, it, it was incredibly fascinating. The conversations were nice, and, and Rachel's reactions to everything was really interesting. And some of her lines were really well, um, well done. But uh, what does this mean, Professor? Well, I think we can all agree that uh, Rachel Scarston was the psychosis with the mostest. Oh, that was good. Thank you. I was really hoping you'd go to me first. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it was good. 
I didn't find it terribly surprising because the moment she opened the door and saw young Kate there, it was, well, obviously you're having a psychotic break. The interesting thing is that Alice is aware enough to realize, oh, I'm having a psychotic break right now. Um, and then to get the explanation, you know, from her psychotic break as to exactly what's happening. Uh, I thought it was interesting. It gave, uh, you know, uh, Rachel a lot to play with, you know, and, and, you know, I'm glad we got that. It's not really playing into, you know, the main storyline, what's going on, you know, over on, uh, on Batwoman Island. Uh, but, uh, you know, it does give us, you know, our, our weekly dose of Rachel's Carson, and I will never question anyone who gives us that. Uh, it was interesting, uh, and it did lead to an interesting sort of, you know, not so much resolution, but a question going forward. If she's come to the conclusion, which is totally, you know, uh, a freaky even for Alice, that, you know, what if her sister had never existed? It does call into a question a whole bunch of things. You know, would she have become evil? Does this will this lead to, you know, the appearance of a, you know, a, a, a crazed Alice who has forgotten all the evil things that she did or uh, is denying them to the point of forgetting them? Could this be, you know, the the redemption turn that uh, that you've been pulling for, Jeff, that, you know, she's going to show up as her own costumed, quote, hero, end quote, Um which could be really, you know, they could play it really, really funny if they wanted to. Uh, you know, Alice trying to sort of be a uh, a, a a Batwoman type character um, or a, a vigilante good guy type character, which would be interesting. I don't think they'll go that route. I don't think they want to make uh, uh, Alice pure comic relief, but it does sort of open the door to that. Uh, and of course, it does set her up for, you know, we... You know, not to get ahead of ourselves, we know that Kate's still out there. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be intriguing to see, you know, how uh, Alice deals with this. But I do like the fact that, you know, Alice's attempts to deal with this are going to be a continuing arc going forward. Clearly, yes. She's, she has a lot to deal with. Um, yeah. Good grief. Millie, your thoughts on Alice and what this means moving forward? Or at least what would you like to see Alice do moving forward? Um, I want to press. I really enjoyed this, and I agree. This was like the most like self-aware mind trip that I think everyone's ever had. Um, and I like. I think it shows a lot in terms of. I think Alice is very like cognizant of herself, but we might not see it. So I think that was an interesting dive. I think moving forward, I'd like to see more of what goes on her mind. I think it's clear that the past two seasons is obviously this crazy front, um, and a lot of. Uh, protecting herself from grief is what we've seen. So to see her fully grieve and maybe have an actual breakdown will be interesting because, um, I mean, I don't think anyone will be shocked. I don't think that pretending Kate doesn't exist is going to work out well. I think that's going to um, kind of end in, in some kind of breakthrough, I think, for Alice. And I wonder if that's going to be on the road to redemption for her. Um, but I like how it's – I like how because we've wondered what can we do with Alice – now that her, you know, can she always be evil? And I think this is an interesting path that we could explore her own mind scape and see where that goes. And maybe she turns a new leaf over at the end of the day. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. Um, I'm a little nervous as to where this could go because, um, I mean, they could go, as the professor said, with uh, a psychotic, crazed Alice because, you know, the fact that she was kind of using the idea of Kate as her, like, last grasp at humanity, like, the little bit of humanity that's inside her. It was kind of like that little bit of humanity was reaching out to Kate. And if she doesn't have that, does she go even crazy? Or, as the professor suggested, like, could she go the route of, well, you know, she doesn't have that baggage of Kate, so she does, maybe she forgets that um, she was abandoned, and uh, she she wants to be a hero. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, whatever Rachel does, it would be fantastic because we stan her. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do with this. Um, I was actually kind of looking forward to seeing Alice, the character, deal with grief. And we're going to be robbed of that, I think. Um, so... Yeah, I'm I'm along for the ride, though. I am trusting the writers this season, so we'll see where this storyline goes. So to rewind, we start off the episode with a funeral. We see all of our favorite bat people and bat-adjacent people uh, burying Kate and having a proper Jewish funeral for Kate. Um, it, I, I thought it was just 
visually stunning to look at. I mean, it was like everyone was just really playing it hard, and um, you could feel the emotion just gravitating from the screen. I don't really have a question for this, uh, so I don't know if either of you just have anything else to add as far as just what you all experienced watching the opening, but I thought it was beautifully shot, and um, I just thought it, I, yeah, I just, I liked it. It was, uh, it was just a striking visual, plus, you know, we had um, Ryan's uh, narration, in essence, it's her writing a um, goodbye slash thank you letter to Kate. Uh, any thoughts on this from either of you? I think it was nicely shot. It was, you know, a good reminder that, you know, Kate was Jewish, something that was sort of mentioned early on and then it's kind of uh, disappeared uh, from the mythos. Um, I think it was, it was really there just to sort of, you know, be a, a visual shorthand for the audience that, hey, this is to let you know that all these characters have moved on. Understand? Good. Now let's move on. Yeah, kind of. I, I do get with you on that because we had the time jump. It was just a month, but we did have a time jump, which allowed us, um, well, it, it sort of, I'm going to say this in such a wrong way, uh, but it sort of saved us from having to like be with characters that were wallowing in, in grief, which sometimes, you know, that can be dragged out too much in a series. And I feel like we've already seen all of our characters grieve Kate in different ways and at different times because the reveal, um, the, well, the reveal to them that Kate is dead, you know, was dragged out for like half a season. So for them, they've all kind of in different ways have grieved the character. And, and we've seen that visually already throughout these past um, almost 10 episodes. So uh, the fact that we had the time jump and we saw the funeral, I think that was enough for us to understand that they, you know, have done the majority of their grieving and they're moving forward. Okay, so the next thing I want to discuss is Roman Sionis, a.k.a. Black Mask. So he's sort of, he has his fingers in a bunch of different storylines, and we're going to tackle each of those storylines individually. But right now what I want to do is just general thoughts on the character and the, the interpretation of the character on the show because I've got to say it's been a while since we've had a character that really felt sinister and I got that from this actor like you know it, it's very difficult I would say for anyone to act through a mask but his voice his you know his um you know the the his diction it was just beautiful like he felt incredibly sinister with the mask on and even without the mask when he was just you know everyday businessman in gotham usa uh, so i i'm really excited by the actor and uh, hell intrigued to see what they're going to do with the character uh, billy what'd you think of just of black mask slash roman sionis in general yeah, I'm with you. He played it really well. Like, as soon as they started interviewing him, I was like, okay, he's definitely Black Mask. And just, he didn't have a lot to the reporter, but the way he delivered it was very, the slow, gives you the creeps. And I thought it was really well done. And, and then you take into consideration what he's saying, you're like, oh my God, he's crazy. <laughs> you know, he thinks he's doing this all in, like, justice and rebelling and stuff like that. So I thought it was really well done. And then mixing in the actions that Black Mask does, I mean... I think all around there's definitely good makings for a big bad. I'm excited to see more of his story. Um, and I think just even visually the, the actor has that look where he's just like, you know, you know, he's up to no good. Yeah. And I thought the mask was really cool too. Uh, I think, uh, you know, whenever someone's wearing a mask, I mean, I mean, you know, sometimes the mask can look hella cartoony or kind of cheesy and hokey. And uh, I thought they made the mask really creepy looking. Um, so, yeah, it, it worked for me. Professor, anything to add just in general about uh, Roman slash Black Mask? Um, well, just, you know, the idea of, you know, your, your bad guy being a, uh, you know, a successful businessman who's convinced he knows what's right for everyone else to do. Where do people get these ideas? <laughs> You're funny. 
Uh, no, I agree with you though about the mask. One of my concerns about Black Mask was actually, you know, he's always struck me as one of those characters who, in the comic books, it looks good because you know the mask is quite cool and sort of a thing in the ma- in the comic books that you know you can't remove the mask and all that, and you know they're obviously not doing that in this particular uh, context. But I thought they did a good job with that by by not trying to make it. Oh, um, and, you know, so I think, you know, making it he's just, you know, one more among many of the false face society. And the fact that, you know, he's kind of a creepy looking guy, even without the mask. <laughs> well, that is, there is that. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's not a lie right there. All right. So from one villain to another, let's talk about Angelique. Oh, God, Angelique. Angelique starts off the episode by running back to Ryan. Because, I mean, let's be real. I mean, it's Ryan, and Ryan is spectacular. So, uh, clearly, anyone in their right mind would run back to Ryan. She runs back to Ryan is basically like, I'm going to leave, you know, my shady past behind, and I'm going to make the change. I'm going to make the change for you. And this, that, or the other. Um, turns out what she was saying was kind of true, but she had to do one last thing before, which is, you know, get the getaway van when the police commissioner ends up getting shot and all that kind of stuff. Um, so she's in trouble and, uh, there's this whole plan. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna save you. Um, we had a moment where I thought we were going to get a reveal. We didn't. Thank the heavens. Uh, but, uh, you know. We're going to help Angelique, and Angelique is going to come through, and she's going to name all the false face society and all that kind of stuff, the the gang and, and that sort of thing. And we have a back and forth of, is Angelique going to do it? Is she not? The Bat Team is uh, split because uh, our veterans are like, we don't trust Angelique. But Ryan's like, you know, we need to trust her. And so uh, that's what they end up doing. Angelique ends up getting kidnapped. She gets threatened. And at the end of it all, she ends up going to jail because she is the fall person for it all. And we find out that the reason she does it, though, is because uh, Black Mask ends up threatening a particular bartender, a.k.a. Ryan. So... It looks like we won't have Angelique, at least for a mo. What did we think of Angelique this episode? Um, were we rooting? Oh, I don't even want to say this aloud, but were we rooting for Ryan to take her back? Um, did we believe Angelique? Uh, at the end of it, uh, there was a lot of bravado behind. Oh yes, I I did it. You know, I'm gonna. You know, I, I I was behind it all and all that kind of stuff. Her taking um, the blame for it all. But then we find out the truth behind it. So do we like Angelique based off of that in this episode? What did we think of Angelique throughout the entire episode? Millie? I'm on the fence about Angelique. I, she's just, I feel there's some more to her. And I'm still in the, in the camp where... The whole idea of Batwoman having this former lover that's burned them and now they're trying to chase them. I feel like we did that last season, and we all know how that went. So that's why I think I'm a little bit apprehensive. But I do like at the end, we see that Angelique is trying to show that she changed. I think there's something to be said that she does keep going back to Ryan, even though, you know, she's probably bad news and she shouldn't be. Um, I think it shows that she cares a bit more than maybe others. So um, I like that on her, but I I still think that um, I was rooting that Ryan didn't take her back. And I'm kind of glad. And I really hope that maybe when she does get out or, or anything, it's more just maybe they need to just be friends after this. Um, and that's just that I still think there's more. I think she knows more, I feel like, um, especially that she's in the likes of Ocean and things like that. And she was doing the drugs. So I'm curious if she's going to reappear. If she's kind of shipped off to prison for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my problem with Angelique is that I don't trust her. And I think the reason why Ryan, thankfully, did not reveal that she's Batwoman is because she doesn't trust her either. That's at least my hope, that that's the reason why she did it. Because we had that whole moment, she's like, I gotta tell you something. And I was like, oh, please do not pull a fucking Barry Allen. And she did not. She was just like, I know her. And I was like, all right, I can dig that. Um, yeah, but I was ooh, I was very worried. Um, even at the end of the episode, I, I mean, I can, 
I believe that Angelique does care for and does love Ryan because they have the connection, but I just feel like Angelique is no bueno. Like, the whole thing that that Ryan wrote to Kate about the past and the future and and that sort of thing like i i and and there was a, another moment where um where they were talking initially when she comes over and she was like you know come on and blah blah, blah and and Ryan tells her you know i'm thinking about my future and i i think if she's thinking about her future and she's trying to run to her future she can't be dragged down by past baggage and that's what angelique is Professor, what about you? Were you swayed by Angelique? Oh, and did you think she was going to die? Because, not going to lie, I thought she was going to die in this episode. Like, for real, real. No, I didn't think she was going to die. I thought she was going to betray uh, um, Ryan. Uh, So what I thought happened is, so after the scene where Ryan, and by the way, kudos to them for setting up the whole because I... No Batwoman, uh, you know, because, you know, we've seen that so many times before. They were totally playing with with the people at home, expecting the oh, my God, no, don't say you're Batwoman uh, trope. So I, I'm glad they did it like that. I'm glad that Ryan did not uh, give her identity away. But no, I thought what was going to happen is after she said, no, I know Batwoman and therefore I can send Batwoman to protect you. I thought for sure when Batwoman stepped into Angelique's apartment, you know, a bunch of the false face gang would be there waiting to take her down because Angelique had sold her out. Um, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised uh, that she didn't do that. Uh, and they did give her, you know, a little bit of redemption uh, at the end with uh, her basically, you know, offering to take the fall in order to protect Ryan. Um, but it does show Ryan that, you know, she's been noticed by, you know, the bad guys in her civilian identity. And so she has a bit of a target on her back. Uh, but, yeah, I, I personally, I agree with you, Jeff. I think it would be best. You know, we've never trusted Angelique since she showed up. Um, she's been bad news uh, from the beginning. Uh, and I think in terms of, again, Ryan trying to make better decisions, uh, Ryan trying to make better choices moving forward with her life. Uh, I think it's important that, uh, that she not go back, uh, you know, into old patterns. And, uh, I think that would be very healthy, uh, for Ryan. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Uh, Ryan needs stability. And I feel like, um, Angelique just causes chaos and, uh, not chaos neutral, not chaos positive, Chaos, chaos. Yeah, so I'm glad that she's being shipped off. I do feel like once the storyline ends, because the truth will come out, so that, that'll be her get-out-of-jail-free card. But even then, I, I don't know if I want them to get together. Uh, I feel like Ryan's journey does not include Angelique. I just don't trust her uh, at all. And... um yeah, so hopefully they are not endgame at all. So this episode, it was interesting because we were introduced to a lot of new elements on the show. And um, uh, we already referenced one where we talked generally about um, Black Mask. But uh, in this episode, we were also introduced to Sophie's younger sister, Jordan. We are introduced to her at the, like, not at the start of the episode, but towards the beginning of the episode where she's just this random woman that confronts uh, the police commissioner, Commissioner Forbes. She uh, witnesses uh, Forbes' uh, murder. She is chased down by uh, the, um, the false face gang, and, and they know that she's the witness. Um, she ends up going to her sister, Sophie, for help. There's this altercation with some of the gang members. Batwoman saves the day. And through all of this, um, we, we see a lot of Sophie and Jordan's relationship. Um, and and uh, we get a lot of information about them together. Uh, we, um, we also get a little line, which I hope it's another thing where they're just teasing us and there's no truth behind it. But, but Jordan was like, well, I know you're recently out and there's the hot bartender over there. I was feeling like the lesbian vibes, I guess. You know, you should ask her out. And Sophie, I think, put a button on that and was like, no, not in this lifetime, not an enemies to love type of situation. No, no, no. So I, I, hopefully that was us. That, that was, I mean, hopefully that was for us, um, the viewers. Uh, what did we think of Jordan? Uh, she made quite the splash in this episode. And... Uh, 
I will say, just personally speaking, I'm really excited to see this character again. I thought she was a breath of fresh air. Professor, do you agree? The professor does not agree. No, I do agree. I think she was definitely a breath of fresh air. I don't know how much more we're going to get of her, whether she, I don't think she'd be a one and done, but I don't think she'd be a series regular. I do think she, you know, being a younger person, and I could not guess what age she's supposed to be. I mean, uh, early on, I thought that maybe she's 16, but then Ryan served her a bar and didn't ask to see ID, which, you know, you, Ryan, you really should check ID, even if, you know, you think they're old enough. Um, so I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be. Um, I guess I just think of tagging as something that, that younger people do. Um, but I do like her. I like how she was used to bring out those notions of defunding the police, the idea of community activism, uh, rather than, um, you know, uh, simply punishing the bad guys. And also sort of bringing out the idea that, you know, uh, you know, uh, having Ryan, you know, basically do that superhero thing of, oh, I, so you met the superhero. I bet they were pretty cool. Yeah, well, not really. What? Uh, you know, and that's a great, you know, comic book trope. Uh, and having her bring that out, you know, the idea that, well, she's a suit, you know, she's no really no different than the crows or the cops and you know i think having that sort of that view come out of that character uh you know uh someone who is a bit of an outsider someone who can bring that that fresh perspective in there i thought it was quite effective and i think she and sophie my goodness those two have a tremendous chemistry man they felt like sisters like two people who who really are sisters uh and uh you know that that's phenomenal chemistry for two people who this is their first episode working together very true. I will give lots of props to Megan Tandy. I know that we uh, talked about her in the previous episode, with her work as Sophie in the previous episode. And in this episode, I really loved Sophie 100%. Like, her, the stuff with her sisters, the stuff um, where she was, it was just her, and, and they were, uh, um, she was like, uh, in essence, in charge of the crows, you know, doing um, the um, the investigative stuff for, or not for, but uh, about the police commissioner. I just, I loved seeing her take charge in this episode. And, and I also loved seeing her be incredibly receptive to her sister. Uh, there were, there was a lot from her sister. Jordan mentioned a lot of like, oh, you know, you're one of them. You know, you're a crow. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't need Sophie the Crow's help. I need Sophie my sister's help. And um, she was talking a lot about, you know, defunding the police and reform and community activism and that sort of thing. And it really hit Sophie. Um, their final conversation at the bar uh, was really nice and uh, there there's a fascinating storyline that's sort of developing in front of our eyes with Sophie that I'm really excited to see and, and I'm hella here for whatever the payoff is going to be um yeah I'm I'm really enjoying Sophie which is quite the interesting thing to say um Millie what about you are you enjoying Sophie what you think of Jordan I am enjoying Sophie, surprisingly. I think that they everything that is coming from her storyline this season is very organic and it all makes sense. And I think that's part of having Ryan there and being able to tell these kind of stories. I think it's a lot more organic than if there was Kate. Um, so I am actually really enjoying her and I love Jordan. Um, I'm in the camp of I hope we get to see her again. And I I was thinking like things I'm like, oh, I think, you know, she might not come back too often. But I thought what was interesting was in her conversation with the commissioner, maybe it was just a throwaway line when he was like, you know, if you're unhappy with what's going on, run yourself, which I was like, is that how that works? But I also wonder if that kind of maybe is trying to foreshadow or plant a seed. Maybe that's where Jordan's trajectory or she's going to get more involved in the GCPD or something like that. Um, but I really liked how she was kind of the opposite of what Sophie has and what we have known Sophie to stand for for the past season and a half. And then to challenge all that and to know that that's her sister. That was really fascinating and a great way to bring out all these things that we're seeing in Sophie. And I really liked how um, she's able to challenge her, but at the same time they're able to have that sister banter where it's like, he said, oh, yeah, I want my sister, not the crow sister. So it's clear that the conversations happen, and they can slide into that. But they can also call each other out. So it was very authentic, and I enjoyed that dynamic that we got to see. Yeah. You mentioned a line that the commissioner said. Another line that the commissioner said that I thought was really interesting. So, that, you know, someone from the press is there asking all these questions and comments and that sort of thing. And... Um, they end up asking about Batwoman. Like, we hear rumors that the GCPD is working with Batwoman. And I thought we were going to get a line like, 
that we hear like on the other shows, like, oh, you know, we don't really work with the heroes and that kind of stuff. Like we've we heard that on Arrow. I, I feel like we've heard that before on Batwoman in particular, it's the crows, whenever they're asked about Batwoman. But the commissioner was basically like, you know what, what we're not gonna confirm or deny anything, but you know, any help that a vigilante can bring us, we will accept which was hella refreshing to hear, you know, based off of everything that we hear that we've heard over on Arrow with the the um the uh, Star City uh police department and you know them not working with the Green Arrow. It was just kind of refreshing. And especially after hearing the crows basically be enemies of Batwoman. It was nice to hear the GCPD is actually welcome to it. I thought the line was kind of weird because he had to say, you know, we don't mind working with vigilantes. I, I think it would have been a little cleaner had he said, we don't mind working with Batwoman. Um, you know, I, I feel like typically the police uh, kind of like they say no, no to, the, you know, vigilantes and vigilantism and that sort of thing. Um, it was a weird line, but I, I get what he was saying. Although he's dead, so, <laughs> you know, maybe the next police commissioner isn't going to be down for the cause. But uh, I guess we'll wait and see in, in regards to that. Uh, okay, moving right along. Uh, let's talk about Penny. Let's talk about Julia Pennyworth. So Julia was brought in, and, and we kind of had this random scene um, where I was like, where was this shot? Because it looked like it was shot where um, where they buried Kate. I was kind of confused for a moment. But uh, we have a, a clean-shaven Jacob and Julia chatting about Kate. And in essence, the whole point of the conversation is, is that Jacob doesn't fully trust the investigation, uh, feels that there is more, feels that there is some sort of clue about, um, you know, something that can lead them to whomever is in charge of whomever's behind Kate's death. Because Kate as Batwoman has enemies, and he feels that it wasn't just, you know, a faulty whatever on... Um, the, the aircraft that clearly there was some sort of nefarious whatever that, you know, led for it to happen. Julia assures him no. We even found out, remember when we heard body parts? It wasn't really body parts. It was like, it's the same thing with Alice. A, a, a skull fragment was found and they were able to, the DNA and this, that, and the other. And so that's how they were able to ID that uh, Kate is dead, basically. Uh, Julia ends up following up Jacob's orders. She ends up calling up Guy and is like, oh, this, that, or the other. And he's like, oh, you know, don't you remember I told you all this last month? And Julia's like, no, you must be mistaken. I never called you. I just got to sign this case. And he's like, no, remember, you know, same place in England. We know and we've talked about this. And she's like, why can't I remember this? I will say, we're going to talk about her separately, but uh, Enigma is brought up in this episode, and we actually see her at the end of the episode. So I immediately went to that. I don't know if either of you did, um, but that's what I immediately thought. But what do we think this means? Uh, what, yeah, what do we think this means? Julia was brought in. We brought up. We see what she's doing. She's investigating. And clearly, maybe she found something out that uh, she wasn't supposed to. She stumbled, stumbled upon something. Uh, I'll open this up to the floor. Whoever wants to tackle this one. Uh, what do we think this means? And, uh, yeah, what do we think it means? So before we had, like, the Enigma reveal, I immediately thought somebody was impersonating her. Um, oh. Because they knew that she'd be able to get information. So I was like, oh, no, the face, false face society gang is, like, super smart and savvy. That's where my, my mind went. But then... After the reveal, I was like, okay, that probably makes more sense that her memory has been a little bit manipulated. Um, and, and thinking the bigger picture, she is smart uh, agent, so it makes sense that she goes down that rabbit hole pretty quickly. Uh, I think it will be intriguing to see where we go. And I also wonder now if not only if, if somebody's – I'm wondering if somebody's after her now. So is her life going to be threatened to kind of question? Um, and what kind of things did she uncover? I, I think it was interesting that – the information at the beginning of the episode, they revealed like what she found in terms of this is uh, this is why we think Kate is dead. So I thought that was uh, a little bit interesting. 
Yeah, I wonder if the villains on this show are unionized or something. Because, like, how do they all know each other? Like, the fact that now, you know, what's her name? Sophia, new Enigma, and, and now, apparently, Black Mask knows Enigma. And if I'm not mistaken, in the comments... For the record, we use WhatsApp. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. All of us evil doers, we use WhatsApp. See, I would think y'all would use Parlor. But <laughs> no, oh, okay. we're not political. We're just oh. in it for the money and oh, sometimes okay. revenge. Well, that makes sense. So at, at the end of it, when we see Enigma, uh, she's using a walking stick. The Riddler famously had a walking stick that had a, a, uh, a regular right way up uh, question mark uh, on the top of it. She has one in which the question mark is it's got a little curly cues on the end of it, but it's clearly a question mark that's been turned upside down. Ah, fascinating. Very cool. Well, I like the idea of bringing in the next generation of villains because clearly... Well, it makes sense time-wise. Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to say because clearly Batman dealt with, you know, people like the Joker, uh, one would assume the Riddler, Penguin, you know, the, the OGs, his contemporaries. So since Kate and now Ryan are, are younger than Bruce. It makes sense that, uh, you know, the second wave of baddies, those that were either inspired by those big bads or, in essence, also are related to, like uh, maybe also, an Enigma. Mm -hmm. It might indicate that we're not done with Sophia yet. Because it did sort of seem like, you know, Sophia, you know, Oliver stuff's burned down oh well guess we don't have to worry about that anymore <laughs> um but you know enigma was working for Sophia, and now she's here working and let's not forget when you know uh when alice was sent to gotham she'd had her mind messed with by enigma before she went there to go and create this army perhaps we're going to find out that there is something more personal between uh you know Sophia or Sophia or coriana uh, and Gotham uh, than we suspected in the past. And maybe, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that she might be working with, uh, you know, Black Mask in some context. Very interesting. There was a crazy theory that I read online that I do not want to be true. I don't know if either of you thought this, but there are some people theorizing online that Angelique is Sophia's daughter. Because I, I think um, Sophia does have a daughter in the comics, I think. I don't, yeah, I don't have anything to back that up just because that's it's not my theory. But I, I have read that online a couple times. Some people are theorizing that. Um, I, I, I should also mention the uh, Desert Rose apparently is going to bloom in the Batcave everywhere um, because it was planted there during uh, Ryan's uh, monologue at the start of the episode. So, let's talk about Black Mask. So, we've talked about Black Mask in general. We've uh, talked, uh, well, we didn't really talk about um, the main action with Black Mask, but uh, Black Mask ends up, as, as I referenced earlier, ends up uh, kidnapping Angelique and threatening her. Uh, we see Batwoman try to save the day, but she ends up getting overpowered by uh, the gang members. And uh, we see... A sadistic Black Mask in all his glory, Slice and Dice, a uh, former false face gang member's uh, body. And then, you know, giving us, uh, like, gags after the slicing and the dicing. Like, you know, you gotta know that you're crazy as fuck when you can crack jokes after you've sliced someone in half. And not in a flourish kind of way. Um, in this, in this moment, we get a little bit of his backstory. We learn that his daughter was taken in by the crows, and per his words, Batwoman killed her, or it's Batwoman's fault that she's dead. And Ryan's like, that wasn't me, but. Um, Black Mask is like, yeah, but you kind of donned her get-up. You are continuing her fight, her cause, so you get blamed uh, by association. And uh, we almost had Ryan get sliced and diced, but uh, Sophie comes in, saves the day, and that sort of thing. What do we think of Black Mask's motivations um, for, you know, everything that he wants to do is, you know, it's anti- 
not anti-government, but anti-crows, uh, anti-GCPD, anti-Batwoman. It's, it's his way or the highway, basically. Um, he knows the best way to fix all of uh, Gotham's problems. Professor? Yeah, I, I don't think we know enough yet. I did enjoy uh, his scene. I thought the, uh, you know, this is an HR matter. What are you, OSHA? was a great line. Um, I, I, I like, you know, the, the, the slight craziness. You know, I do kind of like, you know, maybe not full camp, but I do like it. Uh, you know, when the, the heroes have a little touch or when the villains have a touch of humor to them, uh, whether it's Alice or Zaz earlier uh, in the season. I don't like the dour, boring villains. Uh, you know, I like them to have a little flash uh, and a little zip to them. And, and he did have that here. Um, so that was good. His, uh, you know, I think his, his uh, you know, assumption that, you know, between the crows and Batwoman, you know, his daughter, obviously that's setting up something that uh, that Ryan is going to have to look into or, you know, the Bat team is going to have to look into. And again, as she was, as Ryan was saying at the end, you know, accountability is one of those things. So if there was someone that, you know, uh, that, you know, Batwoman was responsible for the death of, you know, we should know about and, and hold ourselves accountable. So I do think it's interesting. Um you know, he's, you know, ultimately he's just, you know, a guy with a lot of money and, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, with masks. But then the fact they brought in Enigma, who's working with him and, and raising the question of what are they doing with uh, with, uh, you know, the uh, the different looking Kate Kane. Um, so it's, it's obvious that there's, you know, wheels moving within wheels, but I don't think we know enough about it to speculate. OK, I, I don't disagree with you on that but the backstory was interesting um i I do wonder what it means i wonder if there's a misinterpretation there maybe he didn't get all the facts and so he's uh, pointing the blame in the wrong direction uh we'll have to wait and see but uh, I, i do like that there's a bit of a personal story behind the madness i do also wonder based off of um what he uh, what he said and what we see later on because i'm going to bring that up because that's that's what i want to get uh millie's point of view on so later on we see him with enigma we also see him with uh kate and um you know he explains how he acquired her that his gang members uh basically pulled her from the wreckage and um she fought them all off, and so they had to subdue her to, you know, bring her to uh, Black Mask. And uh, we learned that he's acquired Enigma, or her services, to uh, do something to Kate, uh, change her personality, brainwash her, convince her of whatever, who knows. I wonder, does he know that Kate Kane is Batwoman? What do you think, Millie? Do you feel like he thinks or he knows Kate is Batwoman? Um, and uh, what did you think of uh, just this plan? We don't really have any of the details for it, but what do you think of just the concept of this plan that Sionis uh, has? I think that if you're purposely digging somebody out of a plane crash i mean what can kate kane offer alone it's not like he's she's like a, i think a well-known fighter i think that, i don't think that's public knowledge but i feel like in a way he has to know that she's batwoman but then conversely wouldn't he have also taken the suit if he knew she was batwoman like you know while you're digging her out grab the suit but maybe they just didn't have time for that so i think he knows and i i kind of see it as a thing where he you know brainwash the the person that you think is evil to get them on your side i can kind of see that idea where he wants her part of his society or his gang um and kind of help take over gotham that way that's kind of how i see his plan laying out but maybe there's a curveball coming because that feels a little bit too predictable yeah it was interesting hearing him talk when he was the businessman because he sort of talked uh, disparagingly about the false face uh, gang which i mean clearly he's supposed to because he's uh, the the town's not well, the town, but the city's savior. That's what he's trying to be. Um, yeah, I I don't know what his plan is, but uh, I am enjoying the actor, and I'm hella curious to see where they're gonna go with this character. Professor, do you have anything to add in regards to Sionis, uh, Kate, Enigma, and um, what do you think they're gonna do? 
I don't see why he would know that Kate was Batwoman, but I agree that it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to kidnap Kate Kane otherwise, because what they're doing is they're taking Kate Kane and they're changing her face so she doesn't look like Kate Kane anymore, and they're wiping her mind so she doesn't know she's Kate Kane anymore. So why bother kidnapping Kate Kane? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to answers as to what his plan is, because uh, I don't know if it really makes sense if he doesn't know who that, that Kate Kane is Batwoman because he sort of dropped the intel that he feels that Batwoman is responsible for his daughter's death. I feel like this is part of his revenge. Maybe he's going to send Kate Kane out there to um, make the crows implode. Um, I feel like all he needed to do was maybe wait for Sophie to do that. Because I think Sophie is clearly wanting changes and reforms to the Crows. So maybe she could have been the change agent and he didn't need Kate Kane. Um, yeah, I I wonder if we're going to get Kate going out there into the world as a new character. And I'm putting new character in air quotes that this person has been Kate all along. And, and that'll be kind of like the shock. Um, that might be kind of interesting to watch. Um, yeah, it, and it'll allow the new actor, it'll allow her a chance to play a different character before, you know, having to, uh, you know, pick up the Kate Kane mantle. Um, that might be kind of interesting. I guess we're going to have to wait and see uh, what is going to happen, but I kind of feel like that's the route we're going to take. Um, so before we head into the, um, the MVP and before I ask you for tiny moments and that sort of thing that I might have missed, the one thing that we haven't discussed is the team. So the bat team in this episode, I kind of referenced them in regards to the Angelique storyline, but, uh, we get a bit of, uh, development for them as a team in this episode. So, uh, in this episode, Ryan, as we learned in her opening narration, she no longer has the shadow of Kate hovering over her. Uh, she feels that now she is Batwoman. She fully understands that Kate is dead. And I'm using that in air quotes. Um, and uh, because Kate is dead, she is now able to fully be Batwoman, but be a fully realized Batwoman because she no longer has, you know, this concept of Kate could return. She might want to be the Batwoman again. I might take, get the cowl taken away. Now it's, it's just Ryan. And so we saw a new dynamic for the team in this episode. And we really saw the team, even though they didn't agree with Ryan, they, we saw them back her up no matter what, even though they, they, they were sort of, um, there was hesitancy, and especially hesitancy from Mary in this episode, which was kind of surprising because we got a lot of that from Luke in previous episodes. So by the end of the episode, we had Ryan come up with rules for the Bat Team. The three rules were, um, it was legacy, it was accountability, and support. We had... Um, we had a callback to Bruce that Bruce, it was just one person. So he lived by his own code. So, uh, so now Ryan has a code for the team. What do we think of this? Uh, it was a bit of a, an interesting development for the team as a whole, you know, as a team, the team as an entity, Millie, what'd you think of it? I like it. I think it makes sense. Cause I feel like when the team came together, and maybe it was because it was one season. We didn't see a lot of, like, the team figure out how to function fully together. And in a way, at least, I know Ryan's the one that said it, but it kind of puts everybody on the same playing field. Like, there's no hidden agenda. There's no, like, side thing. They all kind of understand the goal, and in a way, they can all embrace it and move the agenda forward. So I like that. Um, I, I think it's, I like how it shows Ryan kind of taking charge. Yeah, she's Batwoman taking a little bit of that, but together they're, they're going to uphold these three rules in a way. Um, so I thought that was a nice development. And also in terms of when you mentioned 
Mary kind of giving a little pushback. I enjoyed that. I think that was the first time that we really see Mary. Uh, I feel like she's always agreed. So I feel this is the first time where she's truly speaking her mind and and giving a little agency and saying, hey, I'm not really sure about this. Let's talk about it. Because it wasn't like, don't do this, don't do that. It's like, here's what our thoughts are. And it was definitely taking into consideration. I mean, at the end of the day, Ryan kind of made her own decision. But I think that it was nice that there was at least that dialogue going on. Again, showing that team dynamic. It's not one clear ruler. There is a little bit of input going on. Yes, and the concept of legacy isn't something new to Batwoman. We basically had that last season with Kate, although it wasn't given, you know, the official moniker of legacy. We saw Kate opening up the gay bar, and in essence it was um, a reactionary type of thing based off of uh, the the homophobia that she had uh, experienced at a restaurant. But uh, we saw her do that, and then we also saw her take up the um, real estate mantle so that uh, she can uh, create affordable housing and this, that, or the other. Clearly, that sort of disappeared because Kate died. So uh, the, um, the idea and, and, and that sort of thing, um, I, I would assume, is not moving forward. But the fact that we're going to have the Bat Team supporting sort of like a local um, initiative, uh, the, the thing that Jordan is working on, the community center, I think is really nice. It's, it's kind of uh, basically uh, taking on what Kate was trying to do and, and uh, having the current Bat Team uh, sort of uh, be the, the stepping stone for it to become a reality. Professor, do you have anything to add in regards to that? Or I'll also say now, you know, if anyone if has anything, you know, small little moments or that sort of thing that we want to discuss before we head into the MVP. Uh, I think it was important for, for Ryan to do this. You know, up until this point, she's really been sort of the newcomer, the newbie on the team, you know, for her to, you know, sort of flex in this case. She's she's Batwoman. She is the head of team Batwoman. Um, you know, it's it's important for her to take that leadership role. And I think up until now, um, she hasn't been doing that. And I don't think they've had a clear leader. I think this was the episode, you know, and we've gotten hints of it before where, you know, Ryan was basically saying, hey, here's what we have to do. Uh, but now she's saying, here's what we have to do, not because of this situation. She's saying, here's what we have to do because I'm the leader. And I think, you know, uh, the rest of the team is fine with that. And I'm fine with it as well. I think, you know, Ryan has earned it. You know, she's she's been Batman for a period of time, Batwoman for a period of time. In terms of little things, um, I, I'm sure this was an intentional, you know, callback to that first episode where, you know, Ryan was not sticking the landing as Batwoman, you know, quite literally uh, stumbling uh, all over the place. Uh, and in this episode, there were a number of scenes where she landed. Uh, you know, her fight with the bow staff was tremendous. I think it's showing that Ryan is growing into Batwoman and that, you know, they're just sort of mirroring that with her, uh, you know, really growing into the leadership role as well. Yes, I noticed her. The fight sequences were good. The choreography was great. And uh, Ryan looked just in the zone. I read online, and I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently the uh, the entire Bostaf fight, that was uh, Javicia herself doing the whole thing. Wow, props to her. I read online, so it may not be true. But if it was, kudos to you. Absolutely, yeah. She learned all that choreography. Props to her. Uh, yeah, loved it. I loved the little line about the Party City wig that uh, Jordan said. That was spectacular. And I've got to say, I don't know what they did in this episode that was different. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was just the swag that she had, or as, uh, as we say nowadays, the drip. But... Uh, Sophie, I thought, looked gorgeous throughout the entire episode. I don't know if the makeup was a little different. I don't know if the the, the outfits, you know, were a little bit more form-fitting or whatever. I don't know what it was, but I, I thought she looked fantastic. I would say that Sophie has always been drop-dead gorgeous from episode one of season one. It's just that I think because she's no longer playing the muling milk toast who is uh, uh, whining about Kate Kane, um, you know, I think that uh, Megan Tandy is playing her as, as a stronger, more assertive character. And I think that's, you know, uh, I don't think that they've changed her look in any way. I think she's just a more confident character. Yeah. Props to the editors and the cinematography as well, because the scene where we kept on cutting back and forth to Sophie and the Crows task force and the Bat team, 
you know, when they were looking at the uh, the footage of um, the commissioner's uh, murder, I loved that completely. Uh, and I think a lot of that was also Sophie just being a boss with the two dollar signs replacing the S. Uh, she was just a badass in that moment. Um, also, um, Mary had a little moment there because she found out via social media so fast. And I loved uh, the way cameras played Luke's just shock that Mary was able to, you know, because they were like talking about, oh, I'm going to have to do all these searches. And she was like, oh, found it on social media. It was just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right. Anything else to add? Oh, Vesper Fairchild. A quick little shout out about her. Uh, Jordan's mentioned her name. We haven't heard Vesper in a moment, but uh, it's nice to know that she's out there. All right. Anything else before we head into the MVP? All right, it's that time, y'all. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Millie, who is your MVP? I think for my MVP, I'm going to have to go with Jordan. I think she was an unexpected character. Uh, I didn't ask, I didn't know Sophie had a sister, but I thought this was a perfect character for someone like Sophie to have a sister as. And I thought she brought a nice dynamic that really makes me like Sophie more, and I think she was enjoyable, and there's a lot of little snippets about her background, about her, um, that I think really plays into the storyline that makes her super interesting, so overall, I'll have to give it to Jordan. Very good choice. Uh, Professor, what about you? Well, you guys all laughed at me last week for uh, picking Sophie as my MVP, and I'm going to do it again, because I, you know, I'm like buying GameStop at $40. Pick another thing that you young people will understand. Uh, I got in there early on the Sophie train, and I'm going to keep riding that Sophie train. She was incredible in this episode uh both crophy uh you know showing her as the badass boss but also her showing up to save batwoman uh you know kudos to her for that and also reaching out to luke you know using you know realizing that you know batwoman they could this can be a reciprocal source of information um i think uh, sophie is really growing and also having that realization when she was talking with her sister about hmm maybe i'm not on the right side very good choice. Yeah, lots of great points about Sophie. Sophie is becoming hella fascinating, and uh, I'm here for the Sophie love. It's it's crazy how, I don't think we would have said that about a year ago. But uh, yeah, she's a really interesting character. Um, great choices from both of you. I am going to give the MVP to Black Mask. Peter Outerbridge is the actor. He's a Canadian actor, and... Man, he was just incredibly fascinating in this episode. It was his first time, you know, the first time we've we've, we've seen Black Mask in the flesh. Uh, we've heard about him so much as leader of this false face society, um, this gang group, and uh, the first time we've seen his um, his uh, you know real persona out and about. And uh, I just found him fantastic. I am looking forward to seeing where this character goes. Uh, part of me is kind of like, I hope they don't kill him at the end of this arc. Because I would love him to be the, a threat out there. Uh, I think a lot of these shows, the shows in the CW-verse, tend to get rid of uh, you know, the, the season long or the half season big bads. And um, I think if they're, if you have a really good and capable actor, don't kill them off, you know, allow them to be a threat, a looming threat out there, you know, lock them up if you want, but let them break free for a, a mini arc uh, in another season. Um, yeah. And I'm saying all this after just one episode of seeing him in action. I loved the sort of sadistic glee that he brings to the show. It's very, very interesting. So now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 bat signals? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the bat cave. Professor? You know, I, th I think it was a bit of a come down from last week, which was, you know, a very strong episode, probably the strongest of the season, I thought. Uh, but, you know, for all the things we've talked about, you know, the the, the Sophie arc uh, and uh, and all the other, you know, good stuff, uh, interesting questions that they're raising. Uh, I'll bump it up. I'll give it an eight and a half. It was a very enjoyable episode. I think it'd be well worth a second watch. Starting off with an 8.5. Millie Wood, what about you? I agree with the professor. It definitely was a come down from last week and I, I think it was there was a lot of tidbits I felt like in a way it was a little bit slow and I think there was a lot of things 
there's a lot of jumps and we had to kind of fill in the blanks, like how they get back from Coriana. There's just a lot that I think that got <laughs> glanced over for certain reasons, I understand, in terms of the time jump. But it was a little bit of a letdown compared to last week. Um, so I have to give it an 8.2. An 8.5 and an 8.2, and I will co-sign with the professor. I'll give it an 8.5 as well. I I don't really see it as a come down. Um, I, I do agree that the previous episode was fantastic, so I guess anything would be a come down from that one. But I thought it was still a pretty strong episode. Uh, it was an episode that uh, certainly was introducing the next uh, chapter of Batwoman, the next arc, and everything that was introduced was hella interesting. So uh, f- for me, I, was, I've, I found the episode really entertaining. And I, I think it is a very rewatchable episode as well. So uh, yeah, a, a strong uh, um, start to this brand new arc. And on that note, uh, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Gotham City Gazette. Here's our answer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for the Gotham City Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, everyone. And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. A quick programming note: uh, there is uh, not a new episode of Batwoman next week, so we will be back in two weeks to discuss uh, the newest, freshest uh, episode of Batwoman. Download new episodes of the Gotham City Gazette every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio archives. Good night. <laughs>